Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Erico, sitting in for Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by libertarian Bruno Behrend, conservative Jonathan Greenberg, and Democrat Patrick Hanley. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base, AM560, The Answer, WIND Radio in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Our phone lines are now open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289 to be a part of the program with us this evening. Uh, it's been a, a couple of weeks, so as you know, Bruce is on a uh, indefinite leave from beyond the Beltway. Uh, Jeannie Ives and I are hosting in that uh, period of time while Bruce is on leave. I have not been with you since uh, the midterms happened. In fact, the last time that I was uh, standing behind a radio microphone was on uh, election night a couple weeks ago. And I was at WIND Radio in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, our home base station, anchoring their election night coverage. So, well, I know Jeannie and the guests that she has had on have explored what happened in the midterms because I have not had that opportunity and because our esteemed guests this evening have not had that opportunity on this program. That's where I wanted to start in part because a lot of the political conversation we're going to have is going to be influenced by what happened in that midterm election and what it is going to mean for the Republicans and the Democrats going forward. So I just want to start with what everybody's reactions were to the midterms, which um, I will give uh, as I was on air watching all this transpire. Certainly the narrative that had built up to that period of time that you had this, what we thought would be a red wave and then kind of turned into a red trickle and then we thought would be a red wave again. And I don't know, could we call it like a, uh, a red light mist maybe uh, is what we actually <laughs> saw happen on Election Day. So, Bruno, I'll go to you first. What uh, now a couple weeks removed from those election results from that Election Day, what do you make of all of it? Uh, it was a red trickle. And uh, it wasn't anywhere near as uh, big a deal as anybody thought. I think it, I think we're it's fair to say now that you know Georgia and Virginia are purple states and uh, and uh, swing states, and Florida is probably now a red state, maybe even redder than Texas. Uh, and Ohio is probably a red state, um, and maybe not as much, but we'll have to see. And, and we'll have to see where all the parties put their money in the ne in the ne in the upcoming presidential election. Um, I think uh, Donald Trump clearly came out more of a loser than a winner in what in who he uh, backed and uh, and what their fate was. And um, but the Republicans got control of the House. I I wish they'd either gotten a little bit more control of the House uh, or, as I opined myself on my Facebook page, uh, it might have been better if they hadn't really won them and just gotten uh, 217 or 216, because if it didn't work in uh, this year as it should have. Then certainly, I want the Democrats and the and their progressive wing to own everything, own every little lick and spittle of mistakes and things that happen between now and 2024, uh, which I think are going to happen and are going to continue to happen. But you know, that, that's the way it broke. Do do you really think that Georgia is a purple state because you have mixed results there, right? You yeah. have Herschel Walker, who runs uh, much further behind Brian Kemp, Brian Kemp, who defeats uh, Stacey Abrams very easily. 
Uh, is this not just a case where you can look at the results that Trump had there in 2020? You can look at Herschel Walker. You can look at the runoffs that uh, Trump got involved in in discouraging people from voting and say that issues of Trump and candidate quality influence Democrat victories in that state. But you look at how easily Brian Kemp won and you have to I think you to me, you have to intuit that it is still a Republican leading state at the minimum. Oh, fair enough. Um, you know, and, and uh, I, I'd have to say that was definitely the case. Um, I feel bad for Herschel Walker. He's not the greatest candidate in the world, but I think independent of being backed by Trump, he did acquit himself better than expected in the debates and most of the people. But, I, you know, I'll, I'll take that, although let's put it this way. Next election cycle, Georgia is going to be competitive, we think, and uh, Florida probably is not. Yeah, just jumping off of that, Bruno, I think the, the loud and clear story that I got from the midterm was a broad-based rejection of extremism. And that was true across Secretary of State candidates that were election deniers running for that position in the Republican Party, uh, as well as folks like Herschel Walker, who ran, what, 15 points behind uh, Brian Kemp in Georgia. Whereas George, uh, in Georgia, Brian Kemp was rewarded uh, for standing up to Donald Trump and preventing, uh, you know, the electoral shenanigans of 2020 from from being an issue. Jonathan, your reactions to the midterm elections? Yes, I think it wasn't just Georgia where um, uh, we had some of our worst Senate candidates running well behind governor candidates. In New Hampshire, Boulder ran well behind Chris Sununu. In Ohio, uh, J.D. Vance ran well behind Mike DeWine. Uh, that seems to have happened in a number of places. I, I think that um, I, I, I kind of agree with, uh, with Bruno, but maybe for a different reason. I, I agree that it, it might have even been better if we failed to take the House. Um, but I think that it might have been better because having anything that the Republicans can hang their hat on as a victory coming out of this will probably prevent them from making some of the changes or coming to some of the conclusions that they should make or come to. Namely, that if we renominate Donald Trump, we're going to get clobbered as we'll deserve to. What do you make then of the question of candidate quality, right? So you have you've made the point of the disparity that you had between gubernatorial candidates and Senate candidates. How much of it do you separate out the uh, can you separate out that uh, Herschel Walker, just not a particularly good political talent versus how closely he and some of those Senate candidates aligned themselves with Donald Trump versus gubernatorial candidates who largely did not? So I don't know how purple Georgia is, and I think it'll take another cycle to figure that out because Brian Kemp ran away with the governor's race against, a, I think Stacey Abrams outspent him. Uh, and so the, the fact that he was able to win that as decisively as he did suggests to me that it's not that purple a state. Herschel Walker is just a terrible candidate, mm -hmm. just a terrible candidate, mm -hmm. barely able to get a sentence out. And uh, the same thing is true in Pennsylvania. That was a winnable race that we tossed away. I was on this program back in September uh, lamenting the lack of decent candidates. You know, in, in a number of places, the, the Republicans just decided not to compete with the best team on the field. And, uh, and you know, as such, the Democrats are going to have gained a seat in the Senate and, uh, you know, we'll have to go back to the drawing board in 2024, hopefully with better candidates. Totally. And Eric, to your to your point, uh, about whether it's Trump or whether it's the candidate, you've got some confounding variables because Trump has this bad habit of endorsing terrible candidates, and not just that, recruiting and encouraging and endorsing terrible candidates. 
Yeah, so it is going to be difficult to separate out. I, I find it interesting what Jonathan said, coming back to you know, what lessons can be learned there. And you are going to have the problem, like I think Jonathan articulated, that because there was some kind of a victory, which I always make this point that uh, whatever the numbers were that Republicans gained on election night in 2022, you have to add that to the seats that they gained in 2020 to mm -hmm. get the full picture because they outperformed expectations in 2020. But as a result, you have... Uh, a very curious situation that they are going to be in, which we will continue to explore on the other side of this break. Eric Cohn filling in for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway this evening. Be a part of the program with us tonight. We look forward to talking to you. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media, many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
We're back on Beyond the Beltway. Our phone lines are open, and you can join us on the program this evening at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289 to join the program this evening. Okay. So now that we got that midterm uh, analysis out of our systems, <laughs> let's move to more current events. And Patrick, I want to start with you. Uh, much consternation uh, about whether or not Joe Biden will or should run for a second term mm -hmm. as president, uh, as he's been celebrating the victories that Democrats have had in the midterms. There's been some hubbub about you know, whether he's considering it when he may or may not announce. Let me start yeah. by asking you two questions. Will Joe Biden be the Democrats nominee for president in 2024? Mm -hmm. And should he be? Good, good questions. Listen, I, frankly, the reality is this is a decision that is being made by the Biden family in the next three months. Like that is what they're going to do over the holidays. I know that uh, Dr. Biden, his wife, is very involved in this. Turns out his grandkid was the one that convened the Biden council back in 2019 or whatever it was to convince him to run for president in 2020. So this is a very personal decision. And I genuinely don't know where uh, where the coin comes down on that. But to your second, more normative question. I can see a strong case for a second term of Biden. I know there's a lot of arguments that I'm sure we're going to hear more about tonight about the, the reasons why he shouldn't be the nominee, uh, age, of course, being a factor. Um, but in his first two years in office, he's had one of the most influential policy presidencies since Barack Obama. And frankly, uh, you can stack up his achievements against Barack Obama any day. When you look at the semiconductor industry investments, you look at infrastructure investments, uh, the way that Joe Biden has brought together the coalition of Europe to stand up against Russia and to kind of to maintain our economy in this tremendous volatility following the worst pandemic in 100 years. I think he's got a lot to be proud of. And I do honestly, I think the economic situation is going to it's going to get possibly worse before it gets better, but I think it's going to improve in the next two years. And he'll be a strong nominee if he decides to run. And if he doesn't, that's going to be his decision alone. Jonathan, I can read on your face that I don't think uh, you're in entirely <laughs> total agreement with uh, Patrick's analysis of the uh, first term or first two years of Biden's first term as president. Well, I don't think it's saying much that he had one of the most successful presidencies since Obama, who was president five minutes ago. So I don't think that's all that impressive. But the, um, I, look, I, the guy's 80 years old. Nope, I don't know what that is. <laughs> is it? Sorry. Hope to we, we, uh, we've been infiltrated by uh, rogue audio there. No, my, this, no, sorry. no I got it. So the, um, I look, I don't, I, I, he's 80 years old. He acts like he's older than that. Uh, the oldest president ever to be reelected, I think was still Reagan, right? Who right. was reelected at 73. Um, and who was far more capable of stringing sentences together than Joe Biden is. Um, I don't know who the Democrats have on their bench. I think that the, the bench is pretty empty uh, for the Democrats. And so Biden may end up getting the nominee, getting the nomination. Um, I think that would be embarrassing for the Democratic Party. On the other hand, the Republican nominee might also be embarrassing. So uh, it's uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know that you know, we're doing a lot better on our side of the aisle than they are. But I think it's terrible. I don't know. Uh, you know, he seems lost half of the time. It, it, it's in a normal, a normal presidential race against a normal candidate. Um, I think Joe Biden gets crushed. 
Uh, Bruno, I'm gonna. I want to come to you in a second, but uh, Patrick, I want to bounce back to you real quick here to, to ask the question because this yeah. was a topic that was just not supposed to be talked about for so long, and then sure. it, uh, a period of time leading up to the midterm elections when Democrats thought they were going to get crushed. Right. You saw for the first time Democrats feel that it was okay to talk about Joe Biden's uh, age and sure. his competency. Do, do you agree sure. that there are concerns there that legitimate people can legitimately have about Joe Biden's age and level of competency at 80, 81 years old Definitely. and would be of running course. for re-election at 83. Of course. Absolutely. I mean, as as Jonathan just said, Joe Biden will be uh, by far the oldest president if he wins the second term. Uh, being 80 is tough. As a, as, an, as a friend of mine, my godfather before he passed used to say, old age isn't for, uh, and I'll let you fill in the blank. Um, it's it's brutal, let alone being president of the United States, one of the hardest jobs that you can hold in this country. But given those constraints, uh, Joe Biden has been able to achieve uh, some pretty tremendous things in, in a pretty incredible time. So I really wouldn't put it past him. I think people have lost uh, a lot of money and respect betting against Joe Biden for 50 years of his political career. So I really wouldn't uh, put it past him. The one thing I just wanted to comment on, though, Jonathan, uh, the Democrats have a pretty deep bench, and all you have to do is look to our governors to see folks like J.B. Pritzker in Illinois, Jared Polis in Colorado, Andy Bashir in Kentucky. Uh, I know Gavin Newsom said he was out of the race for, for 2020 but he's still certainly uh, in the race for 28 and beyond, and he's going to be a strong contender. So actually, our, our bench is looking great. It's more a question of, uh, of when they're going to have the chance to, to enter that primary. We will uh, let Jonathan contain his laughter for a moment. I'll come back to him for his analysis, <laughs> of Patrick's analysis of the bench. But Bruno, I'll go to you. Uh, so first off, um, if Joe Biden is responsible for any of the quote-unquote uh, successes of his campaign, I haven't, or his, his presidency, I haven't seen much evidence of it. We, we've seen a bumbling old man who's probably being exceedingly highly managed by some potentially competent holdovers from the Obama administration. And that's why we've seen this person who was put in front of us as a centrist, uh, and the Democrats pushed him forward like crazy because they knew that Mayor Pete and or Bernie were going to lose to Trump, even with Trump's weaknesses. They put Biden forth uh, as the only person they could to, to sell somebody as a centrist. And then we've seen what is probably the most aggressively socially uh, liberal, um, you can't even call it socially liberal anymore, socially extreme uh, presidency ever. And uh, if a couple and, and with overspending and quite frankly, definitely deserves whatever blame there is to be given for inflation when you consider the unnecessary last tranche of corrupt COVID money that was showered all over the nation un, un, unreasonably and unnecessarily. Um, so if, if look, if you're a progressive and a, and a liberal and you think that some of the things Biden did was a success, I understand that uh, the rest of the nation wasn't sh so sure, which is why we had this. Um, kind of an election. Um, I think the presidential election that we should see in this country is Gavin Newsom versus um, uh, um, DeSantis, uh, because you have two very, very different models of how a state can be run, two big states, two states that uh, need to be run well in theory, and, and that the nation should be able to choose between those. Um, that's not what we're going to see. And, and quite frankly, as, as much as I think Jonathan would agree that we don't want Trump in there, and Trump is the Democrats' best chance. The one downside of this, for the Democrats, of this not as bad as they thought election cycle, 
is that it resuscitated Joe Biden to the point where he might actually be the nominee, which would be the best thing for the Republicans right now, as opposed to ha having to run against a new name like Jared Polis or Gavin Newsom. Yeah, Jonathan, I want to feel like channeling uh, the line from The Dark Knight that the matchup between Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis uh, may be the presidential election that we need, but probably not the <laughs> one that our politics deserves right now. Uh, we're probably going to get something much, much worse, or, or maybe we won't. Uh, but uh, I, you were nodding in agreement that this is, I think, at least the kind of choice election that I think you may uh, prefer to see in 2024. Oh, definitely. Uh, I, I think that uh, moving on from both of, of those horribly flawed individuals in very different ways uh, would be best for the country. And giving the kind of clear choice uh, of, of governance, I think, would also be really good for the country. I, I just have to say that uh, like, I, I'm not a party guy, uh, and it's really liberating to not be a party guy. You can pretty much say whatever you want, um, which has been nice uh, in the last six years, seven years since Trump came around. Um, and the main reason I'm not a party guy is I could never have done with a straight face what Patrick just did about the Democratic <laughs> bench. And I give him a lot of credit. I absolutely can't pull that off. And uh, watching someone do it with Wild. such uh, commitment and a plum was really it was touching. <laughs> I appreciate that, Jonathan. Thanks so much. That's that's great. <laughs> So what is, uh, pick one of those people other than Gavin Newsom, because I think we'll explore Gavin Newsom uh, after the break, because sure. he said he's not going to run. But you know, again, make make the affirmative case. Uh, you know, a lot of us are Illinoisans, uh, sure. or at least I, in my case, a former Illinoisan, so I'm well familiar with Pritzker. But some of the other names that you named, I mean, why are they people who are, I assume, not getting the attention you think they deserve? Because they're not getting that much attention. And they should be. And I think Pritzker is an interesting case, firstly, because... <laughs> he wears his vices on his sleeve, right? The, the, the cons to his candidacy you see right up front. He's a, he's a big guy, he's a billionaire, and that is true. But as soon as you dig past that, you realize that he's a smart guy, he's serious, policy-oriented, he's got a huge heart, and he deeply cares about the issues that he works on. And he's been working on those issues his entire career. So I think he'd make for actually a very good candidate. And frankly... Uh, you know, at a time when Republicans are totally unwilling to regulate campaign finance, having an unlimited war chest to start with uh, certainly helps, especially when you don't have that national name ID uh, that some of the more Washington, D.C. focused folks might. So I think jumping into the race, J.B. runs on the track record of turning Illinois around, frankly. Uh, Illinois had a tough 25 years or so, uh, kind of bouncing between bad Republican administrations that have gutted our economy and bad Democratic administrations with governors who have gone to prison for corruption. And all of a sudden, you've got J.B. Pritzker, who I really think has, has turned this state around um, on uh, capital plan, infrastructure spending, on protecting women's rights to choose, the right to choose and abortion issues, uh, on, you know, all sorts of interest while managing our state through. Yeah, it was really, uh, it was really touch and go on abortion there in Illinois for a while. Way yeah. to go, JB. You know, it kind of was, uh, to be honest. I mean, I don't know if you were here for Bruce Brown. I wanted to make but, uh, a. Um, <laughs> I wanted to make a joke. Where you said that he wears his uh, his you know uh, vices on his sleeve. Uh, something about a sleeveless vest, but I couldn't really come up with anything. But I'll take the commercial break to see if I can come up with a a joke about that. And when we come back, I do want to talk more about Gavin Newsom, who said he is not going to be running in 2024. We'll explore that more when we are back on Beyond the Beltway. Oh. 
Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. I'll write it down. We are back on Beyond the Beltway, and now is the portion of the program where we allow our esteemed guests to introduce themselves, and we will start with Bruno Barron. I keep on getting introduced as the, uh, the libertarian, which was probably because I wasn't really a straight GOP guy, and uh, I was working for the Heartland Institute at the time, but I'm probably what you'd call an independent uh, social and economic conservatives that would vote GOP 99% of the time, but would look at a Joe Manchin uh, in, a, in, a, in a serious situation. But for the most part, uh, I'm, I'm, at this point in time, I'm probably what you'd call a, a GOP party guy. Uh, non, a non-Trump, not anti-Trump, but a non-Trump GOP guy. 
I appreciate the clarification, Bruno, although I will say that is a little toothy for the introduction of this program. Sorry. So we'll, we'll have to settle on something in between uh, that and a libertarian. We'll, uh, we'll workshop help. that during one of the commercial breaks. Help, help for the rebuttal. Jonathan Greenberg. Uh, yeah, so I, um, I uh, work with a, a private family foundation advising their uh, charitable giving. Um, I'm an alumni of the American Israel Public Affairs Committee. I was a Midwest political director there for three congressional cycles. I'm an ordained reform rabbi, uh, which doesn't really suit my politics, um, but that's just kind of where I ended up in seminary. Uh, and um, I actually was a Democrat. I, I worked for, Demo for a Democratic lieutenant governor, Democratic congressional campaign, Democratic gubernatorial campaign. I worked for Bill Bradley's presidential campaign. Um, at some point, I grew up. Uh, and I, I tell people I don't collect baseball cards anymore either. Uh, and uh, I, I uh, had an ideological conversion in my early 30s. I'm now uh, pretty much a movement conservative. Uh, but uh, I left the Republican Party in uh, 2016, mid-2016, when we nominated Trump uh, and have not uh, been back since and won't be until we uh, rid ourselves of his stain, which I think is from a conservative perspective, pretty significant. Jonathan, you reminded me, I always enjoy how Kevin Williamson uh, makes the jokes about leaving the Republican Party, that he did it over Arlen Specter, which just seems so <laughs> positively <laughs> quaint these days. Um, Patrick Hanley. Well, Jonathan, we're sorry to, uh, to hear how the, your experience in the GOP went. We're always open, uh, always welcome back. Uh, I'm Patrick Hanley. I live in the northern suburbs of Illinois. I run a business with my wife. We sell bedding, pillowcases, uh, homeware, sleepwear, and we are on sale right now for Black Friday. So check us out, pigletinbed.com. Uh, oh, we gotta have we gotta have the pillow guy on the I show know, to go up against I know, you. I know. <laughs> Bruce Bruce loves to talk about the pillow uh, guy. <laughs> we will uh, we, we will send out smoke signals or semaphore code or whatever right. it is he's communicating with these days to see if uh, we can get the pillow guy on. You go to, uh, to have a, a real match of uh, of wits and ideas here between uh, him and Patrick. But thanks uh, to all three of you for being on the program this evening. Want to come back to Gavin Newsom? So Gavin Newsom has announced that if Biden is running he is not going to be running. So, of course, that does leave the door open for him if Joe Biden decides that he is not going to seek a second term to go ahead and run. When I heard this announcement, though, I mean, of, of course, it's a little more complicated than the, a comparison that I'm going to make because I'm going to make a comparison to 2012 when the Republicans did not have an incumbent in the White House. But there's plenty history of challengers to incumbent presidents. Uh, so it is not outrageous to suggest this. But I'm wondering if in choosing and announcing it in this way, Newsom is not missing perhaps his best opportunity to go back to what Bruno said, that this would be a very interesting contrast and choice election between a Ron DeSantis and between a Gavin Newsom. And I think of it like Chris Christie in 2012, where Chris Christie clearly missed his window. He missed his opportunity when it was the best chance for him to run. This is one of the reasons why, irrespective of Trump deciding he's running in uh, 2024, I think Ron DeSantis is running because I think Ron DeSantis understands that this is his moment. Uh, Patrick, I'll go to you. Do you think that Newsom, if he does not run this time, even against possibly having to challenge the sitting president of the United States, he is missing his best opportunity to be president of the United States? 
It's possible. Listen, I, I honestly don't follow uh, Governor Newsom too closely. And I got to say, I don't follow the California Democratic Party too closely either. So I don't know that I would necessarily say that's the shining beacon of the future of progressivism. I know uh, Gavin Newsom got himself in trouble with the French Laundry, which is a pretty stereotypically hilarious uh, gaffe for uh, a kind of slick guy. Um, who was talking about pretty strict COVID restrictions, being caught in a super fancy restaurant with donors. I don't love that. Um, I, I don't love how bombastic and sometimes arrogant the governor can come off, uh, especially on the social issues. That's why I, I prefer kind of the more Midwestern governors from, you know, the Colorado governor, Jared Polis. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer is someone that we didn't mention, but is a fantastic candidate and make a really strong candidate for president one day. Uh, Midwestern governors have to deal with purple states, uh, rural, suburban, and urban issues. And uh, I, I think they probably put our best foot forward um, from, from the Democratic perspective. Bruno, make the case for why you think that a contrast election between DeSantis and Gavin Newsom would be, I don't know, you, you set it up as however you want, most clarifying, um, what, however you want to characterize Well, uh, you know, individual personalities aside, and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure we're going to find out all of Ron DeSantis's personality flaws reported by the current media sooner or later, if they're not already working on doing all that. Um, the fact of the matter is that you've got California as the probably whether there's other progressive states like New York or Massachusetts or whatever, California is the beacon of the progressive model, um, possibly more so because it because of its unbalanced uh, revenue capacity, um, they they can be crazier with their spending, they can be dumber than everybody else, they can make many many more mistakes uh, like they have with the crazy prosecutors and and all the other stuff that they've done in L.A. and San Francisco. Um, that they they are just a beacon of progressivism, and and I think Patrick's right that it, you know, you can make a case that on on the on record, Pritzker might be almost as crazy as Newsom, but the state isn't as crazy as Newsom, um, or California. So you've got you've got a little bit of cover there. Um, it it would just be the model asking Americans, is this what you want, or is this what you want? And I think if if we can excise the, you know, lance the boil of Trumpism in our party, and you actually have that election between Newsom and DeSantis, I think, uh, I think the red model is going to win 51-49 or 52-48. Depends on which color red. Well, uh, I'm, yeah, but they, like I said, it, it's a boil that has to be lanced. Jonathan, try to channel back to your uh, Democrat days, and uh, is Gavin Newsom uh, making a mistake by not seizing this opportunity? Oh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's making a mistake. And the last thing I want to do is give that guy any career advice. But I, I, I hope he runs. I hope. I, I mean, I think he's a he's a whole lot of hair gel. I, I don't see much more of Gavin Newsom. Than that. I don't think Gavin Newsom particularly stands for anything. I don't think he really believes most of the stuff that comes out of his mouth. I think he's trying to solidify his position on the wing of the Democratic Party, and he's not really a leader. Uh, of that wing he's just a, a you know identified it as an ascendant wing of the party and that's what he wants to where he wants to park himself i think there are much better options if you want actually to win if the democrats want to win and i think jared polis actually is an yeah. interesting uh person i think he's been a, a, a much better governor for the overwhelming majority of the country uh, in colorado than gavin newsom has and um I will say I, I don't think being five six and having John Pahoritz's hairline is going to help him. 
but uh, in an age of television, but the <laughs> nothing against John, but the I, I I don't think he's got the look of a president about him. But I think he's been a much better governor than Gavin Newsom has. Um, I uh, but again, I, I think that you've got two very different visions of America there in DeSantis and Newsom, and I I think those two different visions deserve. Uh, and airing out. And I think a campaign like that would be really good for the country. I also am very confident that the side I want to win would win. Yeah, Patrick, I, uh, well, Bruno um, has shed the libertarian label for the much toothier one that he adopted earlier. Still like some uh, of their policies. I, I still do run in a number of libertarian circles. And one of the interesting things that I will say about Jared Polis is, and, and not that libertarians have the capacity to shift the balance of power in this country any which direction. <clears throat> I mean, it's, you get uh, five libertarians in a room and you'll have 25 different opinions. So there's plenty of complication there anyway. But he is one of the few elected officials, at least in libertarian circles, who is often spoken of quite highly for mm. a number of uh, a number of different reasons, having to do with his uh, views on the war on drugs, on mm -hmm. justice reform issues. That mm -hmm. um, he is not uh, seen as being hostile to uh, market forces in a way that a lot of other Democrats have identified themselves <clears throat> as being hostile to the idea of market forces. Sure. In that sense, I, he may be a, a very interesting candidate, but I have no idea if he actually could get nominated in the Democratic Party. Because. But all those things that you just said are also true of folks like J.B. Pritzker. I mean, those things are now mainstreamed of the Democratic Party. Uh, being pretty thoughtful and liberal about the way that we think about drug policy, especially when it comes down to public health, uh, being open to market forces and then regulating them when they excess. I mean, there's, it's no accident that some of the strongest economies in the country are led by Democratic governors, and that is Colorado. That is uh, California, frankly. Uh, I, well, I... Like California has its own special case. Every time there's a recession, its uh, finances collapse because it is so uh, um, top-heavy on income taxes at a very high level of income taxes. And then, uh, you know, they, they, the way they spend the money is uh, is uh, different, too. So it, it taught looking at California and saying this is an example of a great economy isn't really that accurate. What you've got oh, is a very, that. very rich coast that pile that is able to generate an insatiable amount of money and then you also have the fact that you know uh, Pritzker and Newsom and obviously probably uh, uh, Abbott and DeSantis as well have all benefited from too ma too too many massive tranches of completely unnecessary yeah. we, federal uh, COVID uh, We're coming up on a break. Uh, money. Coming up on a break here, Bruno, so we're, we're, we'll get back to that, but I, I do want to, in the next segment, start addressing what we've danced around a little bit, which is uh, there is one declared candidate for president in 2024, and it is Donald Trump, and that is probably something that we should address for better or for worse, and we will when we are back on Beyond the Beltway. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. 
The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Matthew. Huh? It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. We are back on Beyond the Beltway, and uh, during the break, uh, I decided I think we're going to table the conversation about Trump for after for the top of the uh, the next hour, because what I want to do is I want to actually go back to something that I had a chance to ruminate on during the break, uh, which was again the description of uh, Bruno's politics that I still am not sure he can fit on his business card. But even this to potentially voting for a Joe Manchin, how do you shake that out, Bruno? Uh, I said possibly. Uh, I would. I could <laughs> you vote. Said possibly, and yeah. I acknowledge it. <laughs> and I could. I could vote for Joe Manchin, for example, over Donald Trump if it was a Manchin versus Trump race. Um, because I, I don't really agree with Joe Manchin on very much. And I don't agree with his party, but uh, I think the republic would be safe in his hands. I'm uh, not sure that's true. Uh, you can say that about Joe Biden. Um, and there might be some other Democrats. I mean, I, I've, I'm, I'm probably not a fan of Jared Polis, but based on the things that I've heard from here and from other people, uh, you'd give him a look. Um, and, you know, there's nothing wrong also with, with uh, sitting things out and or taking, uh, uh, you know, taking a flyer on a candidate that's not going to win. That's one of the ways we can exercise our right to vote. 
um, as well. I, what, I, what, what I will say is that whereas because I worked at the Heartland Institute and because I was much more economically conservative, at, uh, you know, like uh, at one, or economically liberal or conservative, however you want to call it at one point in time, I fit pretty well within the libertarian framework, even though I still, at this moment, like a lot of libertarian policies about less government. Um, I guess what's interesting is I've just become more socially conservative and less economically conservative, um, and uh, which is incidentally where where the the uh, Republican Party is going to, and not you know not to a great loss uh, necessarily if uh, if working class Hispanics and and um, blacks move their way slowly or rapidly to the Republican Party, which they look to be doing. Did that answer your question? Yeah, I find this, I, it, it sort of does. And I, I want to go to Jonathan on this because as somebody else who had a kind of uh, political, ideological uh, conversion of sorts that you detailed in, in your introduction, um, what would your openness be then to supporting a Democrat? It's something similar to what Bruno just articulated. Oh, but I, what I, one of the things I have to note that I find fascinating in that is the way that uh, the way with our politics changing. Uh, Joe Manchin is, is basically would have been considered on the left of the Democratic Party 20 years ago and is considered now uh, a centrist largely because of the way that the parties themselves have have shifted mm-hmm. and have reoriented themselves towards their own different fringes. Um, so that being said, Jonathan, uh, g- give me your take on, you know, you, you also said you're not uh, thrilled about Trump. We'll come back to Trump at the top of the hour. Um, enough to be uh, induced into voting? I mean, it would depend on who the Democrat is. It would have to be somebody that I didn't fear for the future of the Republic. I didn't vote for Joe Biden. I, voted, I wrote in Jan Coates, um, who was my senator growing up in Indiana. I was an Indiana Democrat. Um, you know, I worked for uh, Joe Kernan, who, when he was lieutenant governor, he became governor later. I worked for Frank O'Bannon. I worked for Baron Hill. I worked for Evan Bayh. Um, you know, these are all, uh, you know, strong Same. Democrats, but toward the, you know, toward the, the centrist wing of their party. They're much more in the Clintonian uh, model as, as far as uh, their politics go. I, look, I, I think somebody who's, who's interested in working together with the other side, who doesn't demonize the other side, who... Uh, uh, recognizes that you know you can't do big things unless you have big majorities. Cramming massive changes down on the forty nine point nine percent of the country that you beat uh, to get your job, uh, I think, is just really contrary to the American system and the American conscience. Um, and so, I would want somebody that I could count on to not do something like that. And if Trump was the nominee and the Democrats put up a serious person. Uh, I would take a look at them. Um, I don't think a serious person gets the nomination in the Democratic Party, M- much to the same way that I fear a serious person doesn't get the nomination in the Republican Party. I think our our politics is really broken. Yeah. And uh, but look, at, I said on the last time I was on the show, I said the first party that decides to be adult is going to have a, a governing majority for a very long time. Patrick, if, you if uh, have now heard from. Two people with various descriptions of themselves as uh, you know, being either uh, loosely affiliated with the right or the Republican Party who are open to voting for Democrats, provided that that Democrat is some right. kind of a sensible person or an, uh, an adult. What are you uh, are, are, are <laughs> what you feeling offering? the Democratic Party could actually have something to offer the Jonathans and the Brunos of this world? I know we got some live votes out there. Listen, guys, I, I really the Democratic Party that I see and the Democratic Party that I'm working in right now. Uh, and the folks that I talk to and the candidates I like, 
they are following a lot of the things that you're describing. Now, Bruno, I don't know about your social conservatism. I, I don't know where that is or where that's going. I don't know uh, whether we can agree on that. But otherwise, in terms of a strong economy that protects uh, the most vulnerable, in terms of an, uh, a country that is taking climate change and energy policies seriously, uh, a, a country that looks at healthcare and sees it as something that uh, rich countries should provide uh, to our most vulnerable citizens. These are all very, very mainstream democratic policy positions, which is why the Democratic Party, from a policy perspective, is so popular. Uh, and in terms of, you know, working with the other side, I, I see a lot of Barack Obama in that. And I see, I wish that that were the case. Barack Obama had every intention of reaching his hand across the aisle in 2009 when he started his first term. And uh, across the aisle was a, was a solemn Mitch McConnell who wanted nothing to do with him. And so Democrats have learned to play hardball. Uh, but that is not, that is not organic or natural uh, to the way that a lot of the uh, bridge building, consensus building Democrats that I like, they're um, not the way they operate. Uh, well, I, uh, in I, the about 30 seconds that I think we have, uh, uh, Bruno, go quickly, and uh, actually, you have 30 seconds. Uh, okay, so um, you're, that's a nice thing to say, and I'm happy to talk to all of those people that you're talking about. I'm talking about the cancel culture. I'm talking about the attacks on free speech. I'm talking about the fact that if you think that a man who says he's a man, uh, a man who says he's a woman, is really a woman, and that if you don't agree with that, you are you are shunned, you you lose your jobs, you, you get fired. Your party is being controlled by some of the most extreme social liberals in the world right now, and that is a we problem. We will go back to great segue to Twitter. To more of this and a conversation <laughs> about Trump when we are back at the top of the hour on Beyond the Belt Fight. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Oh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zinc and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? 
Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. If you're talking, they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So talk, hey, you can do it if you try. <laughs> this is Beyond the Beltway, and I am Eric Cohn, filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. <clears throat> Thank you, everybody who's tuned into the program this evening. As we said, the issue that we have to talk about is there is one declared candidate for the presidency in 2024. That person is Donald J. Trump, and he chose to do so shortly after a midterm election that, as we discussed in the first hour of the program, did not go particularly well for Republicans uh, and particularly did not go well for candidates that Donald Trump had chosen, selected, endorsed. <clears throat> so you have not the best backdrop that uh, Trump could have had if he was going to choose to announce a run for re-election. Then add to that uh, and because, Jonathan, you were the one who showed me uh, part of what we'll, uh, I'll tee up here during the break. He at Mar-a-Lago has dinner with uh, a person by the name of Nicholas Fuentes, um, incidentally from the suburbs of Chicago, who I think, despite the fact that uh, words, terms like white supremacist, um, their use of it is rather uh, profligate and abused, I think this is somebody who we can easily say is indeed a white supremacist who has a uh, online streamed TV program of sorts that uh, the opening for, at least in the part that Jonathan just showed me in the break, was done by Kanye West. We truly live in the weirdest of times. Uh, so, Jonathan, I will go to you first. I mean, you've, both you and Bruno have already established that while you are on the right, um, you are... Jonathan, not a big fan of Donald Trump. Bruno will get into his, um, uh, you know, not anti-Trump, but not uh, uh, not a pro-Trump person in a moment here. Um, just give me your reaction to this latest weird set of circumstances surrounding Donald Trump again running for the presidency of the United States. Well, I don't think Donald Trump has any particular core beliefs. Uh, and I think he'll he'll meet with and accept the endorsement of anybody who wants to endorse him, anybody who likes him or pretends to like him for a few minutes. He's a, a shallow, sad narcissist. 
and um, uh, he has no business being anywhere near the levers of power. He never did. Um, and listen, I, I think if we if we renominate him, he'll lose. And if he doesn't lose, he'll be a terrible president for four years, like he was before. By the way, I mean, we there, look from my standpoint, especially the thing I care the most about is foreign policy. I, I think he was a, a perfectly good president from the things that I care about. I think the decision to um, uh, execute uh, Qasem Soleimani was an, it was an incredible thing to do, and almost nobody else would have done it. Moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem uh, in, in Israel was something no other, nobody else would have done. Um, and it's because the foreign policy establishment is pushing back and saying that the dumb idea, it's a dumb idea, it's a dumb idea, and it's, a lot of times it's not. And Trump, not giving a crap about what anybody thinks, was able to do things that nobody else would have been able to do. But he re- repeatedly put bad people in uh in his administration and uh over and over and over again made terrible decisions i I think he with that attitude of not caring uh, about what the establishment has to say could have gotten so much more done had he been more disciplined had he um actually been capable of moving the ball down the field uh and there are there are much better people for us to choose who can accomplish the things that I think a lot of us would have liked to have seen in the Trump administration who aren't laden with the baggage that Donald Trump has. As far as the thing at Mar-a-Lago, look, Nick Fuentes is, is disgusting and, uh, um, and a, a, a gadfly and, but, and has no business being within several football fields of, of any serious elected official. I think Milo Yiannopoulos was also at yeah. the dinner uh milo also you know has advocated hanging jews in the public square um it's i mean these are it's you know i I, i'm i try to be careful about pointing and shouting anti-semitism i agree with what you said that the word white supremacist has been overused so much by our friends on the left that it's now essentially meaningless which is why you shouldn't overuse things like that but in this case it actually applies uh and none of these people you can say this should be you know that Donald Trump, based on this, should should never become the nominee for president. But this is what the three thousandth example of things that should have kept him from being president or the nominee. So uh, you know, it won't it won't change anybody who's anybody's mind who already supports him, um, which is one reason why our politics is so broken. Somebody's going to need to run against him, and somebody's going to need to beat him. So can I jump in before? Yes. It, Patrick's welcome to jump in first, or you can come after both of us. Go for done. it, Bruno. Um, so I'll agree with almost all of that, although I would, I, I, it, it, a piece of advice is if you don't want the guy to win, don't say anything nice about him, even if you think that some of the things he did was right. But you kind of made a case there that some pe- Trump fans, and I have a lot of them on my Facebook page, are, are the ones that are saying, this guy, um, you know, he's the only one or he's got to win. It's like, here's my message to everybody who might or wants to support Donald Trump. He is the number one Democratic vote-getter in the world. He drives out the Democratic vote. He will drive out every single Democratic vote. And that is the primary reason you don't want him out there. And, and I will agree with, uh, um, with Jonathan and all the things he just said about him. You just don't want Donald Trump on the ticket because he's going to drag everyone down. And we just saw pretty good evidence, not definitive proof, but we just saw pretty good evidence that this is true um, in 2022. So don't do it. And but here's the that's the good news if you want to get rid of him. Um, here's the bad news: if it's a two-way if it's a two-way race, someone might beat him. If it's a three-way race, it's done and over. Yeah, Trump is going to be the nominee. Yeah, and and I will say this: I, I don't think I'd vote for him. 
Uh, I think I'd rather, I, I, don't, I don't know what I'd want, but I'd, I'd vote for somebody else. I wouldn't vote for Donald Trump. And it would, if it was a rerun of 2020, I would hope that Donald Trump would win just so that the Democrats don't have power at the executive level as bad as a president as Donald Trump would be. And this is where I make the case for why Donald Trump should run for president. Just kidding. Um, no, I, I couldn't agree more with what you both just said. I, I, this is just the latest in a long catalog of terrible judgment calls. Now people are coming out and saying he didn't know who Nick was. I don't care. I, I really don't care. Nick is a disaster of a human being um, and shouldn't be allowed anywhere near the public forum, let alone a former president of the United States. Uh, what Kanye was up to, you know, goodness knows. I do think it's hilarious that Kanye asked Donald Trump to be his vice presidential running mate. I wish I was a fly on the wall for that part of the conversation. But no, Donald Trump is very obviously unfit to hold any public office, and he very well might uh, end up in, in prison. So uh, look forward to hastening that day forward. Patrick, real quick, at about the minute that we have left in this uh, segment of the program, I want to ask you, are, uh, maybe not you personally, but do Democrats again find themselves in this position if the game that they played in the yeah. 2022 yeah. midterms where they helped fund and sure. elevate a lot of candidates who associated with some of the more noxious views of Donald Trump? Yeah. As Jonathan said, he's a great vote. Or it was, maybe it was Bruno who said he's a great vote getter for the Democrats. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be in 30 seconds here? Is this too tempting for Democrats to want to have him again because they want to win? Yes, it's very tempting politically. The strategy, I think, was ethically perilous, politically brilliant, and it worked out in the 2022 midterm. Uh, I do not advocate that we do that again, especially with Donald Trump. That is playing with a volcano. And, and, he, could, and he could win. I mean, this is one of the things you anything have Anything could happen. 2016 could happen. It was the theory in 2016 exactly. that the person Hillary most wanted to run against was Donald Trump because they thought he would be the easiest to beat. And right. this is where I would think that Democrats would have learned that lesson and not play the dangerous game that they were playing in 2022. But yet we see both on the right and on the left so few people learning obvious political lessons. Thankfully, we are here on Beyond the Beltway to keep teaching them, and we'll be back right after this. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work. 
but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We are back on Beyond the Beltway. I want to come back, Bruno, to something that you were saying about the Republican primary for president in 2024. So Donald Trump has declared he is running. And you said that it is your opinion that a one-on-one -on -one race, I presume you uh, there are assuming that it would be a one-on-one -on -one race between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, uh, Trump can be beaten. But if there's a third candidate in that race, that uh, Trump may very well win. Um, do you think it needs to be a one-on-one -on -one race for Trump to lose in the primary? And do you think there's a risk of putting way too many of your eggs in one basket there? Because, as someone had alluded to earlier in the program, Ron DeSantis is not tested on a national level. Yes, he has had an elevated profile for a governor, especially a governor of a state like Florida, and for a lot of the attention that he has sought to draw to himself as, a lot, as well as the attention that uh, somebody in a position like that is generally going to garner. Uh, there are reports that I've read that you know, he is not the most, uh, mm -hmm. as a campaigner, the most charismatic individual. Um, there, there are just a lot of things that we don't know about Ron DeSantis and plenty of other people that were presumed to be these absolute locks as a great presidential candidate have gotten on that stage and have absolutely withered in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. So do you think that there is a considerable risk then of throwing all the emphasis behind one candidate and one candidate only in a one-on-one -on -one matchup with Trump? Are, are you afraid of the possible consequences if DeSantis doesn't turn out to be what so many people on the right think he is? Um, well, clearly, and, and, I've, and I like Ron DeSantis, and I think he'd be a a good president. Um, I, I've also read enough articles that, you know, I may, I mean, he may have personality issues just like uh, Gavin Newsom might or uh, somebody else might uh, as well, and those are all going to come out. And, of course, it doesn't really matter who the nominee is. The, it, when when the, when the nominee is finally decided, the national media narrative and the Democratic Party are going to be that they're worse than Hitler. So that's, that's all a given no matter who wins. Um, 
the reason I think it should be a, a one-on-one race is it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, Ron DeSantis, but it's just because of vote splitting. Now, if it's a if it's a three-way race and one of the candidates is a complete nobody who nobody's heard of before uh, and isn't allowed on the stage because they're not polling high enough, but if you get Ron DeSantis, we you know Mike Pence, he said he was going to run. If you get Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, and Donald Trump, Trump wins. Yeah. And 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 quite frankly, someone has to do this long enough. I don't know who it is. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if our party has enough discipline to keep people off the stage or pick the person who's on the stage. All I can tell you is this: if it's a three-way race among uh, of any named people who are you know have some name recognition, I think Donald Trump is going to win Iowa and New Hampshire. And I think that if Donald Trump is beaten in Iowa and New Hampshire, then maybe some other people can jump in. Mm-hmm. Uh, because maybe the like I said, it's there's there's a certain and I'm I'm going to sound insulting to some Trump people, and I don't mean it this way, but there is a Trump boil that has to be lanced. It and 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 I think losing in Iowa and New Hampshire will lance that boil, and then maybe we can have an open race, or, or maybe Trump decides not to run, or maybe you know maybe Joe Biden pardons him so he doesn't have the you know, who knows. But I don't think those things are going to happen. So I, I want a one-on-one race, and I, you know, I, I may, uh, Nikki Haley should jump in because here's the thing. Here's some advice to any Republican out there of, of stature: jump in now, because if Nikki Haley jumps in tomorrow, Ron DeSantis is smart enough to know he can't win. So let Nikki Haley be the one to do it. But it's got to be one-on-one. Jonathan, how many, in your opinion? 16 candidates, which I think is what we saw um, last time, which, you know, it was such an expansive field to include George Pataki, who I think we had all forgotten actually (laughs) existed. Uh, If 16 is way too many, and I I agree with that element of Bruno's analysis, that there was just way too much vote being split up amongst way too many people so that Trump initially, when he had a, a small but very dedicated minority of support in the primary, there were just too many other people dividing up the rest of the vote. How many people is too many this time? Because I'm, I'm skeptical of Bruno's analysis that it's only one-on-one is the only way that it happens, not just because I think it's inevitable that there's going to be more than one other person in that race. I think Trump clinched after Indiana in 2016, and Cruz and Rubio at least were still in maybe some others. Um, I actually don't think it matters if this goes to Iowa. And John Kasich, Hampshire. don't forget about John Kasich. <laughs> right, John, John Kasich right, John doesn't Kasich. want you to forget I'm about sorry, John I was, Kasich. I'm sorry, I was talking about the Republican primary. So um, the, the, <laughs> I don't think it's a problem if we have more than two candidates in the race, up to and including New Hampshire. Um, but after that, it needs to be one-on-one. The, 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 the race in Iowa and New, Hampshire, and New Hampshire should be for who will take on Trump not for the delegates of Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, second place is what matters in, in those two, in the primary and the caucuses. And after that, it needs to be down to, to two people. If, if Bruno's right, if this goes as long into April as it did last time, more than two candidates, we're, we're going to end up with Trump as the nominee. Not only that, but listen, I actually think that, um, I think having uh, somebody specifically who can take on Trump's failures Trump's failures with you know, not firing Anthony Fauci, that will play well in the, with the Republican base. Why didn't he fire Anthony Fauci? Why did he encourage the country to lock down? No, there's nobody better to take that fight to him than Ron DeSantis. And Eric, I, I've heard the same things about DeSantis that you have, and I've, I've met the guy once. Um, I can see his personality being something of an issue. Um, but I, from a governing standpoint, there's nobody who has a better record to uh, for our side than to take Trump on than he does. 
And I think we are putting a lot of eggs in his basket. It is risky, and that's just what it's going to have to be. Yeah. Patrick, do you agree that there's a risk that, because um, I think Bruno is correct, yeah. that the narrative, no matter, it, it, let's assume that it is not Donald Trump who is the nominee in 2024, that it is some other Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, you've already started to hear this about Ron DeSantis, that Ron DeSantis is actually worse than Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Bruno used the example of that they're going to be worse than Hitler. Um, I, I feel compelled just to share the joke that I always loved about when people would say that uh, Trump is Hitler or Trump is worse than Hitler. And the retort is, no, he's not. Hitler could have repealed Obamacare. Uh, but it does kind of put into into context that, that, you know, those things are just so much oversold. So is that compulsion that we're already starting to see from some in the media, that we're already starting to see from some on the left, to say that DeSantis, or if, if it's Mike Pence, if it is literally anyone, that they're going to be characterized as being worse than Donald Trump because that is just the most obvious hmm. political campaign tact to take, mm-hmm. that it is going to only further the kind of problems that we've spent a good amount of the last hour and a half talking about. I get that, but uh, you know, you're putting, you're putting political operatives in a funny place and you're asking them not to play hardball with an election that's important to them. So will Democrats... Uh, do a good job of exposing the faults of the Republican nominee? Yes, of course we will. Uh, Are there things to talk about Ron DeSantis? Sure there are. Of course there are. I mean, the man has no political ideology. He's terrible at retail politics. And he, the only thing that he really cares about is how to get ahead uh, in in politics, which we've seen over and over again in Florida. Uh, In terms of ways that he's worse than Donald Trump, frankly, Donald Trump is a giant egoist with no politics. I mean, we're seeing a trend here, by the way. Uh, Whereas a guy like Ron DeSantis might actually bring a a more authoritarian right-wing political perspective to the White House, which could actually be uh, scary and dangerous. So (laughs) that's the line of argument that I think you're going to hear from Democrats. And I got to say, there's, there's something to it. Jonathan, Bruno, I'll let either of you jump in on uh, on a reaction yeah, to the, it, the soft sell there of kind of the actually he is worse. Well, I think from a from <laughs> the perspective of the left, he, he is worse because I think he's a, he's going to be a lot better at getting things done. I think that he's a lot more effective. He's a lot more disciplined. Um, he has a lot less baggage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, that's why you've already seen the efforts on the left and in the media. But I repeat myself to to demonize the guy. And to paint him before he even announces he's running for president. Well, uh, I think he'll be a much that's And by the way, that's one of the reasons I like him. I think he'll be far more effective as president. Um, and, uh, and I think he'll be far more effective at electing, um, you know, good allies who will work with him in Congress. I, th- I think he's just he's a much better politician. Uh, and so I, if I were on the left, I'd be terrified of him, too. They should be. Yeah. Good. And and I would I would add to that that and he's he's only the best known top of the ticket because he's been such a um a lightning rod with and, and primarily the left has only itself to blame for how much of a lightning rod they've made him. Uh because, you know, the the don't say gay bill was a absolutely one hundred percent perfectly reasonable bill which said <laughs> you don't you don't get to talk about these absurd lifestyles to to kindergartners. It holds really well, Patrick. Yeah, yeah no, Patrick, like, you're, look, not when you Patrick, talk about it, not when you explain yeah, that you can't talk no, about no, gay dads that, to kids. No, that's because that's not in the bill that's at all. Because he, you're, okay. yeah, so it's not what it does. So the, here's here's the thing, Patrick. You're a really nice guy, and if you and I, like I've said a couple of times on the break here, if you and I were in Congress, we might work together on how to get a bill passed that we both thought would be, be a way to work together. But the narrative on the "Don't Say Gay" bill was 100% wrong. 
and Ron DeSantis explained that it was 100% wrong, and he crushed his opposition, and then drove, you know, and then drove their women into lamentation with Disney. Oh, they, 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 they were just wrong <laughs> because you're just wrong on the facts on this one. So that's what happened there. Jonathan, come back to your uh, Indiana roots here, real quick. In the last minute we have uh, on this portion of the program. Is there any logical reason why Mike Pence, who looks like he's going to run, should run? No. No, he has no, there's no path. And also, respectfully to Bruno, I don't see any path for Nikki Haley either. Um, I think that there are too many people uh, who dislike her on the non-Trump uh, side of the party, and there are too many people who think she's disloyal to Trump on the Trump side of the party. I don't see a path for her either. I, th I think there, there are some people who it, it could be other than DeSantis. I just think he's absolutely the best possible uh, person and, and the best known so yeah unlike, no, I don't uh, think there's, I, there's not a path for him there's not a path for mike pompeo like i, yeah. I think a lot of these guys are fooling themselves and it's vanity and they should yeah. not run yeah. well in that vanity yeah, I mean, a, a lot of those people as you mentioned with uh, haley and pence particular who have had to do one of the things i think desantis does benefit from is not having to have done that dance of you being for or against um that desantis can just kind of be himself and and be on the record when we come back, I, I want to shift to foreign matters, uh, and we'll do so through the World Cup as a vehicle to discuss it on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. The kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one -on -one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations. 
as well as how and why as a young person they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We are back on Beyond the Beltway, and uh, to borrow from The Simpsons, everybody open wide for some soccer, because uh, we're going to talk about some soccer uh, just as a vehicle for discussing some other things that are going on in the world. Uh, so soccer is being played in the country of Qatar, and I never know if I'm saying that correctly, because that is one Cutter. of those countries, Qatar, that every time it comes up, it's this is where I learn it's pronounced differently than I always was told that it was, uh, that it was pronounced, but I am going to rely on uh, Jonathan Greenberg's Middle East expertise here to say, Qatar, okay, there we go. That's what we're going to call it. The United States on Tuesday is going to take to the pitch. See, I know what I'm talking about here. Uh, against Iran. And Jonathan, you had uh, it brought up earlier that it is a scandal, at least in your opinion, that uh, Iran is allowed to participate in sporting events like this. I, I was wondering if you would be willing to unpack that for us. Yes. Yeah, so, so the World Cup is a little bit different than the amateur sporting world. But the amateur sporting world is rife with examples of Iranian um, attempts to dodge their athletes uh, playing or, or facing Israelis. Uh, it's happened repeatedly in a number of different sports that Israel is good at, especially at judo uh, and, and uh, other sports like that, where Iranian athletes will feign injury um, or withdraw from competitions rather than face uh, an Israeli athlete. They've never been punished for it. They always get away with it. Um, sometimes they're reprimanded by the international body of the of the amateur sport and sometimes they're just allowed to do it um but it, it there are dozens of examples it's happened at the olympics i mean there, there's nothing there's nothing too significant for them to to pull this stuff and at some point the international bodies really should start banning iran and iranian athletes from participating until they change the way that they look at international competition the, the whole point of this is mm -hmm. uh you know to find different ways to compete with each other than international politics and war. Uh, you know, this is one of the things that we do to, uh, to have goodwill and, and uh, things like that. And then Iran is a, a, an egregious offender of that. And so, I, look, I think that it's discussed. And by the way, you know, Israel's never made a World Cup. And the reason they've never made a World Cup is that they don't play other Middle Eastern teams. They play against European teams, which tend to be very good at soccer. They should be playing in their own region. If they were playing in their own region, they might have a chance of making it. But the other teams in their region won't play them. So they're stuck playing against England and Germany and France to try to make it into the World Cup. Uh, so it's, look, this is, it's, it's a, it's, this is a problem with the UN. It's a problem in international soccer. It's a problem in amateur sports. And the reason it's a problem is because none of the governing bodies ever do a thing about it. And somebody should. And, and then you can, go ahead. Then you can add to that the uh, the uh, quality of the governing bodies. 
Um, yeah. You know, FIFA, and, and, and this would be another topic to debate um, in, in terms of world, uh, you know, we, it came up earlier a little bit with the uh, people in the State Department and how the State Department is about things. But FIFA, FIFA is one of those organizations that's just completely corrupt to the core uh, with a patina of we're a, we're a world soccer body and we're, you know, it's like the Olympic, I, I, have, I suspect the Olympic people are the same way. And they, they all act as if they're like these, um, you know, they're, they're the World Economic Fo uh, Foundation for sports. And there's <laughs> nobody here but us really nice guys who, you know, want people to play games together when, in fact, they're bribing each other for who gets what country. And there's so much crap going on back there about which big, you know, oh, Nike doesn't get, right. isn't gonna, Nike didn't give us a big enough bribe, so we're not going to use their soccer balls and, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. And, um you know, that's what just that, the fact that it's in just yeah. the fact that it's in Qatar is a yeah. disgrace, just yeah. an, a total yeah. disgrace. Every stadium in that country that was built in the last few years for the World Cup was built by slave labor. It's just disgusting. Yeah, I was I was going to come to that, but I uh, to, to Bruno's point about you know if if you presented any of these international bodies or even if it was just related to the sporting world, and you asked me to pick which one of them was irredeemably corrupt, <laughs> and the only piece of information that you were going to give me was the name of the person who ran it, an organization run by a guy named Sepp Blatter is 100% <laughs> going to be the most corrupt organization in all of international sports. It's just, it's that is Bond villain level quality name there, oh. and I, 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 it's quite well represented, but Patrick as, as Jonathan said there, um, th I think this has been actually one of the, again, these stories I think get undercovered. Um, the things that are done, and this is, I think, also correlates to the Olympics, where I think it is absolutely insane mm -hmm. from a financial or economic perspective that any country in the world brings in the Olympics because they expend a whole lot of money for sure. a you know three to four week period of time to build all these facilities that are either so shoddily built that they crumble afterwards right. or that you're left with all this infrastructure that you have no idea what to do with and you get crazy things like the Montreal Expos playing in a stadium that houses 120,000 <laughs> people and they're lucky yeah. if they can attract 120 people to a ball game. Yeah. But this is really, I think, accentuates some of the problems that um, we as uh, a world population, as a nation even, are kind of just willing to avert our gaze from yeah. that the, the kind of bribery that went into a country like Qatar hosting the World Cup, the, as Jonathan said, the slave labor that went into building those stadiums, just the idea that a, uh, a soccer tournament is going to be played in a country in the Middle East with heat. You know, yeah. I, I watched the United States versus England game and they kept commenting on how much hotter it was there. And these things obviously don't make a ton of sense, but when you realize it's graft and corruption that gets you there, yeah. well, then it starts to make a little more sense. Right, and the deal that Qatar made with Russia to swap votes to ensure they both had the, the, the Olympics and the World Cup. I mean, it's, the whole thing is a nightmare. I've, I've got nothing more to add than what you guys have already shared, and it is, it is bonkers. Um, if anything, hey, to my uh, small C conservative friends out there, this is a good example of monopolies uh, enforcing their market power with pretty rough uh, consequences. And that's a really good point. And, you know, this, is, this actually touches on to quite a few things we've talked about today. Um, first of all, one of the things I've said for the longest time, and this actually does translate to some of Trump's 2016 success, um, is how corrupt almost everything is. 
Um, and, I mean, <laughs> that could be your book, Bruno. No, it, I mean, it, well, except you know, <laughs> it'd be a boring book because everybody would sit there and say, "I don't believe it," because you're saying yeah. everything is corrupt. But everything yeah. is: universities, public education, student loans, um, FIFA, uh, the Olympic uh, people. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'd like to really know what went on with the start of the Ukrainian war. I want the Ukrainians to win. I want all this stuff to happen. But it's like, it, it, like you, and you don't want to be a conspiracy nut, but you also know that as you start following all these things, that there's just some really, really dark stuff underneath all this. And you, you almost get a feeling like we're all being played. Sure. And, and, and we don't want to talk about, like, like the real obvious example is FTX. What, what the heck is sure. going on with FTX? Sure. And let's not forget the lead up to the Iraq war. I mean, talk about a conspiracy. Let's, I, I lived in D.C. for about 10 years, and the thing that I learned about conspiracies is that they are absolutely everywhere. They're alive and well, uh, and they're often run by bumbling fools. And the reality is there's all of these international organizations, regional organizations, corporate money, corporate lobbying, and everybody's bumping up against one another. They all have their grand designs, and they almost never work out. And so that makes me feel better about conspiracies broadly. Uh, but you're right. In situations where there's uh, enormous market power, where there's a lack of competitors, where there's no good information or accountability, uh, that's where this kind of stuff festers. And that's in authoritarian regimes, uh, and that's in uh, international sports associations. Before I go to Jonathan, you, Patrick, you did remind me of what I still think is one of the best descriptions of Washington, D.C. that I've ever heard, which was from <laughs> um, the pollster, Kristen Stoltis Anderson, who said she moved to D.C. hoping that it would be the West Wing. Everyone told her it would be House of Cards. Yeah. It's Veep. Yeah. It <laughs> is people oh, yeah. who are <laughs> venal and awful, who are running yeah. around pretending like they're in control of things that they aren't actually in control of. And I wish more people would understand that about Washington, D.C., yeah. that it is not this, you know, the nefarious thing that a lot of people think it is. It is more uh, bumbling fools to, again, uh, go back as we were talking about uh, the, the Brits a moment ago uh, as they because they played the United States in, in soccer. The great expression, they have cock up before conspiracy <laughs> that never attribute to malice that which can adequately be explained by yeah. stupidity. I think is a good thing to keep in mind. Jonathan. Yeah, I, to Bruno's point about um, the failure of institutions, I wanted to commend um, to our listeners a couple of different articles, both by a woman named Alana Newhouse, who's the editor of Tablet Magazine, which you can find at tabletmag.com. Um, two years ago, Alana wrote a piece called Everything is Broken, which is one of the best pieces I think I've ever read uh, about the failure of institutions, our lack of faith in institutions, and, and, and where we go from here. And now, just last week, she wrote kind of a follow-up piece to it called Brokenism, uh, where she sees the, the main split in American politics and really Western politics from here for the next maybe decade or two, not between left and right, but between people who believe that institutions are salvageable and people mm. who believe that institutions need to be burnt down and rebuilt. Mm. And uh, it's a fascinating piece. Uh, it's based on the, the two-year-old piece really should be read. It's, like I said, one of the best. It's called Everything is Broken. But the piece that she wrote last week called Brokenism really is not to be missed on, on this topic. There's a Patrick, real quick, uh, go to you for a reaction. Is this a realignment point for our politics? So you obviously haven't read the piece, or right. I assume you haven't read the piece, no. but I, I'm curious for your reaction to what Jonathan just laid out there. No, that's so interesting, and I will. That sounds, that sounds like a really good piece. Um, no, because I think uh, the folks that do find it broken find it broken in lots of different ways. 
Uh, and I think, you know, there are folks on the far right that want to burn it down for different reasons than the folks on the far left, and they're not going to see eye to eye on the policy prescriptions. So if anything, you know, and I, I might be uh, going out on a limb here, but I think it's for the centrists, moderates, and sensible folks like those on this call uh, to protect and salvage and reform our institutions uh, before, you know, before those other folks really have something to run on. Bruno, 30 seconds to you. Um, well, there's a. I'll, I'll, I want to say more than 30 seconds, so I will just remind every. Well, I will we'll, just we'll remind everybody that. I will give you the floor. Okay, we got to cut. Okay. I'm being told to wrap up. The music got is playing it. in my ears, which tells me we're going to a All break. Right. We'll be back on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zinc and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. 
We are back on Beyond the Beltway, and uh, Bruno, I so rudely tossed it to you and then took the floor away from you. That is, uh, that is just sometimes how it goes it, as the host it, of this program. It, so I will once again return the floor to you for whatever uh, brilliant commentary you were yeah, about to I don't, uh, uh, drop on us. I don't know how brilliant it was, but there's a really, really good Kenny Wayne Shepherd song, which I think Dylan wrote, that is called Everything is Broken, and it's very good. It should be a great compliment to the tablet piece, which I have read, and it was also very, very good, although I don't remember every detail on it now. And then that goes back to some pieces that I put up on my Facebook page and some articles, in it, which I cannot remember well enough to search for them, but they talked about how everything governmental-wise has become so complex that it's become less and less governable, and that we've, we've literally gotten ourselves into this position where we throw our hands up and say, oh, everything's just gotten too complex, and oh, we can't change this. But, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, if you, if you look at something like Obamacare, it was an absolutely horrible way to do what wasn't a horrible goal necessarily, which was to find some way to provide, um, uh, to provide health care for people. And there's m probably much better ways to do it. But one of the ways they did it is they created this, they, they solidified the situation where everything got consolidated in the hospitals. And incidentally, big hospital is just as corrupt as big tobacco, or big oil. I mean, and and you know, probably the most corrupt healthcare institution, possibly second, or I mean, and, but probably not second to big insurance. Mm -hmm. And 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 so, and this is where I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, Eric, because I think it's I think we way too often ascribe things to incompetence that literally should be ascribed to uh, corruption. Mm -hmm. um, American healthcare is corrupt. American diet American diet is corrupt. Mm -hmm. We're 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 all diabetic whales waddling around the country getting sicker and sicker because we won't stop subsidizing the most toxic substance on the planet, which is sugar. And we, we talk about tobacco like it's horrible, but we won't put warning labels on pop. And I'm not talking about taxing pop. We should mm -hmm. stop subsidizing sugar and wheat. You know, and, but if you try and bring that up, you're up against such powerful combines that you go, you're going to go absolutely nowhere. Whole Senate seats will be lost if someone tries to uh, rein in um, uh, farm subsidies in this country, which, quite frankly, the Republicans are bigger pigs on that than the Democrats are. And then the Democrats have the things that they're big pigs on, sure. um, which are universities and public education. And th so these are some of the most corrupt, most piggish, most evil institutions in the country. And we can't go after them because if we do, we're going up against, um, uh, like, literally gods like you can you can say you, you know you can take a you can take a crucifix and dump it in urine but you can't say anything against public education or sh the sugar lobby there, there was no, i've always liked the uh the expression too that complexity is a subsidy uh that the yes. people who yep. can navigate complex systems are the people with um usually great means and, yeah. and wealth which is why you know, uh, people like who know that I, I play a uh, fairly neutral host, or at least I try to when I'm hosting this program. But people who've heard me as a guest know where my uh, politics, my ideology are. Um, the tax code being as complex and yes. labyrinthian as it is, who is best positioned to navigate that? The kind of people who can afford high-priced lawyers and accountants to be able to figure out the best way to navigate those systems. And yeah. I think it only exacerbates the rift that exists between elites and people who feel that they are being looked down upon at minimum, if not being oppressed by elites who uh, can better navigate those systems. Eric, it's a subsidy and it's a tax, and it's an indirect tax, and not the fun kind, not the, not the kind that we can spend on things that we might want to 
to, to spend on public assets. I completely agree. You know, in the Netherlands, you get a postcard with your taxes on it. The government has done the estimation for you. They've done the work. Uh, they're typically within plus or minus 3% of what it is. You can appeal them. You're often wrong. Uh, and, and that's the way that the tax system works in the Netherlands. And it's these powerful, entrenched interests. It's literally big tax, right? It's into it uh, that is spending billions of dollars a year to prevent that from serious tax efficiency reform from being something that we work on in D.C., but it should be a slam dunk. It should be incredibly popular. Jonathan, I want to come back to you because we mentioned Iran earlier, and um, given your expertise in the Middle East, I, I think it is uh, worth our while to note that in addition to, of course, the stuff that we talked about having to do with the World Cup, um, there are a lot of protests that have been going on in Iran. I know you follow this stuff very closely. If you could just very quickly unpack what has been going on there for the listeners of this program. Yeah, so it began with the death in custody of a young woman who was arrested for not wearing a hijab, a, a head covering, and uh, she died in police custody, probably was beaten to death. Um, and since then, the women of Iran, really, it started off with the women of Iran and the girls of Iran uh, rose up uh, against the, 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 the brutal dictatorship that's been running their lives since the 70s. Um, and there's, there have been street protests. Men have joined in now. The Iranian uh, soccer team, to their credit, uh, joined in in a muted way during the World Cup. Um, the uh, the uh, Ayatollah Khamenei, yeah. who's been very ill, uh, yesterday, just yesterday, uh, said that every single person who's participated in uh, any kind of a protest needs to be arrested and, and, uh, and punished. Uh, so the regime is not backing down. And why would they? Uh, nobody's going to make them. And nobody's going to make it painful for them uh, to continue pursuing the policies that they're pursuing. Little, certainly not the United States, not the Biden administration. Uh, and uh, our, our weakness in the face of an evil regime really is uh, a, a, a terrible embarrassment to the West. Uh, but it's uh, it's standard operating procedure, unfortunately, no. for the last 20 Jonathan, or so years. That's so short-sighted. I mean, whenever we've gotten involved in Middle Eastern affairs over the last 15 years, it's been a complete nightmare. We've only just extricated ourselves from Afghanistan this last year, and that was uh, trouble in its own right. And frankly, we're busy. We are literally uh, fighting a cold war in Ukraine with Russia. I mean, we are we are summoning every last bit of diplomatic strength that we have to keep Asia Pacific intact against an aggressive China and standing up to Russia and Ukraine. So for the United States to get involved in the Iranian protests right now, it just doesn't make any good national security sense. Although, frankly, this is one of the most historic and exciting, possibly, uh, things that I've seen in Iran you know, since, since the revolution. I encourage people to seek out uh, information about that, what's going on in Iran, also about the protests that are going on in China. Yeah. I encourage people to uh, to seek out information on that uh, as well as we are coming to the end of the program this evening. I want to thank Bruno, Jonathan, and Patrick for joining Beyond the Beltway this evening. Really appreciate the perspective that you all provided. Look forward to talking to you all in the future. Uh, I am Eric Cohn, filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. Good night from Beyond the Beltway. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. 
Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. <sighs> Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Song again. Here's that song again. For the hundredth time today. Here's that song again. It's gonna be stuck in your head all day. Here's that song again. It will make you cray cray. You love your kids enough to watch that TV show a bajillion times. Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zinc and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. If you're talking, they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy, so we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. So talk, they hear you. You can do it if you try. 